0: Welcome to the Personalized Medicine Podcast. This is the place where scientists, clinicians, and entrepreneurs discuss the progress of this rapidly developing field. I'm your host, Alexander Jahensky. Let's start. Three, two, one... And we are live. Welcome to the next episode of the Personalized Medicine Podcast. Back in 2019, in episode 3, we have discussed glycans, a very important and somewhat neglected group of biomarkers. Recently, glycans have been receiving a lot of attention. It turns out the surface of coronavirus is packed with glycans, which help this virus to evade our immune system. The recent research of our today's guest sheds the light On the structure of that core surface glycoprotein of coronavirus and hence can facilitate the development of vaccine against it. I'm very happy to introduce today on our show Dr. Parastu Azadi. Parastu is the technical director of analytical services at Complex Carbohydrate Research Center in the US. She received her bachelor's in chemistry from University of North London, and her PhD degree in biochemistry from Imperial College of Science and Technology, where she studied structural characterization of carbohydrates and glycoproteins by mass spectrometry. She then joined MScan Limited, an analytical mass spectrometry consultancy, where she was a study director responsible for complete structural characterization of native and recombinant proteins and glycoproteins using mass spectrometry. In 1994, Parastu joined the Complex Carbohydrate Research Center at University of Georgia. Since 2001, she has been working as a technical director at the center, with her research focusing on characterization of glycoproteins. She has more than 130 papers under her belt, and most recently, her group has published two very exciting publications on coronavirus. So, Parastu... Welcome on the podcast. It's a real pleasure to welcome you today on our show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for a wonderful introduction. I'm happy to be here today.
0: Perfect. I would like to start with one of your most recent research papers in Glycobiology Journal, in which you investigate glycosylation of coronavirus spike protein. Could you briefly summarize the main findings of the study and what do they mean for our fight against COVID pandemic?
1: So the the coronavirus, um, SARS-CoV-2, has a glycoprotein on its surface called the spike protein. Um, This protein covers all the surface of the virus, and it's important for its entry into the host cells, which into humans. Uh, We decided to look at the structure of the glycans on the surface of the coronavirus uh, and to elucidate the sites of glycosylation and the glycan structures in order to determine, maybe it can help in figuring out how this uh, coronavirus gets into the host cell, how it gets, how it gets attached to the host cells. cells. So uh, we looked at this uh, glycoprotein, which is made up of 22 different uh, glycosylation sites. Uh, The spike protein is made up of two subunits, S1 and S2. We looked at these S1 and S2 subunits independently because we think that uh, probably for vaccine development maybe not the whole glycoproteins may be used for vaccine. Maybe only the S1 subunit which has the binding region, that the region that binds uh, to the whole cell may be only used for vaccine. So we looked at the different subunits independently uh, to know the glycosylation and and how this may affect binding. So we found out that this spike protein has 22 glycosylation sites and out of these 22 glycosylation sites, 17 of those is glycosylated. Interestingly, we found two O-glycosylation sites. One has been confirmed um unambiguously, one probably needs more work to confirm that it's definitely glycosylated or not. But these O-glycosylation sites could be critical for binding of the spike protein uh, to the host cells because these two glycosylation, O-glycosylation sites are very close to the binding region. And they could an effect on the way the protein binds to the receptor. Um, also, there, there are other regions of the gly- glycoprotein that could be important for binding, and the type of glycans present on there could determine the type of binding there is to the to the receptor. There are different glycans, for example, the high mannose glycans, um, uh, basically complex-type glycans, cellulated glycans, or these different heterogeneities within the glycoproteins could influence binding. So it's important to know the whole glycan structures in order to develop a vaccine, uh, whatever platform that may be, using the spike protein.
0: Yeah, I guess what you just mentioned is really important. The differential glycosylation of that spike protein can perhaps explain why infectivity of this virus um, differs between different strains. Do you have any data to support or disregard that hypothesis right now?
1: At the moment we don't have any direct evidence for which glycans are um, contributing to any differential infections uh, in coronavirus or which which glycan structures are doing that. But there are mutants uh, in uh, coronavirus uh, and it will be important to study these further to find out These mutations, are they uh, um, mutations in the sequence of the different spike protein, for example? Are they also differences in glycosylation? Um, What I mean is um, um, the differences in the amino acids. If they're close to the glycosylation sites or they are including some glycosylation site regions, are they contributing um, to the heterogeneity and are they contributing to the different um, uh, infections um, of the virus.
0: Perfect. Uh, Understood. And uh, I know that apart from studying the spike protein of coronavirus, you also studied the surface uh, receptor on the human cells, the ACE2, that is responsible for interaction with that spike protein. And from what I understand, it's also a glycoprotein. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, that line of your recent research?
1: Yes. So the the the, uh, the coronavirus is believed to to uh, bind to this um, angiotensin um, uh, receptor ACE two receptor, um, and probably is not the only receptor, but it's been shown that it's uh, the one of the main receptors that this five protein binds to. So. Um, uh, there, there was no other uh, previous comprehensive glycosylation study on this protein, although the, the structure has been known since 2000. Uh, it has seven glycosylation sites, and we've shown that all, all the sites are glycosylated. Interestingly, we found three glycosylation sites in this protein that has not been reported before. Um, it has very interesting glycosylation profile. Uh, there is 85% fucosylation. There is 50% silylation. And more, maybe more importantly is the silic acid linkages that we determined that the 2-3-linked silic acid is the major uh, major gly- major silic acid that we've observed uh, in ACE2. And uh, none of the glycans are just only Uh, 2,6-linked. Silic acids has been shown to be important for viral um, infections previously um, in other viruses, so it's interesting to to see whether uh, the linkages of the uh, glycans on ACE2, how how, um, relevant this will be for for the way the spike attaches to ACE2. Uh, So, um, for example, um, uh, the N-terminal do- domain of mers Cove uh, protein um, prefers two-three link acids uh, over two-six, and we found that the two-three link acid is the main uh, uh, main linkage of silic acids in ACE2. So it will be interesting to find out uh, the, the importance of these linkages and their implications for uh, the binding of the spike to ACE2. Perfect. Understood. So essentially,
0: that can potentially mean that, um, or oh, can potentially explain why we have this different response of different people to to coronavirus. Uh, some seem to be not affected as much as others, and perhaps uh, part of the answer can be in that differential glycosylation profile of the surface receptors that are responsible uh, for interaction with the virus itself.
1: Yes, I mean, it, it could be that uh, is the glycosylation differences between different people who's contributing to, to the uh, differences uh, that people are uh, reacting to the coronavirus. It's the glycosylation profiles on, on their ACE2 or other, other receptors that are there. ACE2 could be just one of the receptors. Um, the the, the um, host of receptors that are there under um, glycosylation profiles differences could contribute to, to the way spike is uh, uh, attaching to these uh, receptors. Understood,
0: perfect. And um, I guess one more topic that I wanted to discuss with you around the coronavirus is, why is it so difficult to actually develop the vaccine against those glycoproteins or viruses that are covered with with glycans? So
1: um, for SARS-CoV-2, um, it's challenging because it's a, it's a new virus for us. So um, scientists don't know anything about it. Uh, our immune system doesn't know anything about it. So it's it's going to be challenging. We take cues from other coronaviruses, other uh, virus research that has been going on. Uh, but it is challenging because it's all new. That's, that's the first thing I, I want to say. Uh, the second thing is that the... Uh, we don't have any previous clinical trials. We don't have any, uh, we, there, there's no medications. There, there's no other vaccines that, you know, it's, it's shown to work even partially for this coronavirus. Uh, the spike protein is particularly complicated, particularly um, heterogeneous. Uh, having 22 glycosylation sites and 17 of those, or maybe most of those being glycosylated, and heavily glycosylated with very heterogeneous profile makes it challenging to develop vaccines uh, against this um, uh, against this virus. So basically, a vaccine triggers a, uh, a response, uh, and we want to be able to um, um, capture that response safely and effectively, uh, so that it can protect us against the infection. the the whole aim of um, a um, vaccine is to produce a robust antibody response uh, with neutralizing um, antibodies um, coupled with some sort of uh, cellular response to make sure that um, um, it's prolonged and uh, we get immunity from this kind of uh, response in our body.
0: Makes makes perfect sense. And uh, yeah, these are the challenges that Scientific community is facing now with coronavirus that are not so easy to to overcome to to generate an effective vaccine. So, besides coronavirus, I know that you have done a lot of exciting research, uh, both with academic and industrial collaborators uh, over the years. What were two or three highlights uh, in, uh, in your research career that um, were really the most exciting? kind of topics that you had chance to work with so far? Um,
1: Over the last 30 years, I've worked with uh, um, government agencies and research institutes and pharmaceutical industry. Uh, We've done a lot of work, uh, internal research on developing tools for uh, glycoprotein and uh, uh, polysaccharide analysis. Uh, We've been uh, very fortunate to have uh, funding from Department of Energy over the years in um, being a resource to the uh, glycoscience community in developing tools for uh, polysaccharide, plant and microbial polysaccharide analysis. Uh, We currently have a um, a large um, center grant concentrating on looking at uh, methods for structural characterization of plant polysaccharides, especially uh, specific polysaccharides in the plant cell walls. So that's an exciting area in developing tools that will be important for looking at um, um, plant polysaccharides and its implications for biofuel. Um, Of course, I've worked with a lot of industry and um, a lot of work in the last 10 years of my lab has been for looking at structural characterization of heparin and low molecular weight heparin products. As you may know, um, in 2008, there was a contamination in heparin Uh, And we and others um, quickly started working on uh, developing new techniques to be able to capture um, the the full structure of heparin products and to be able to uh, tell quickly if these products are contaminated with any, um, like in that case, it was oversulfated chondroitin sulfate. So we have NMR tools and mass spec tools uh, that can um, um, really um, elucidate fine structure of these very complicated polysaccharide mixtures and their solvation patterns and their um, sequence um, and basically in a mixture.
0: Perfect, understood. And I think that just shows like the breadth of importance of glycans in uh, biology and in technology because starting with the biofuel and ended up with the quality control for therapeutic products They are essentially all all over these fields. And uh, it's important to have reliable, robust tools to uh, be able to assess those glycans uh, and their role in all those processes. We are doing this show for you and your feedback is very important for us. So if you have any suggestions or comments, would like us to cover a specific topic or recommend a guest, please write us an email to team at pmedcast.com. Or you can reach out to us on linkedin, twitter or facebook. Just type in personalized medicine podcast and you will find us there. To download the show notes for this episode, visit our website pmedcast.com. It's p m e d c a s t.com. The show notes include guest bios, links to their most notable work, and recommendations for additional reads on the topic of the episode. Make sure to check them out. And don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Give us a rating and leave a comment. It will help us make this show better. And now, let's get back to the interview. So you mentioned, actually, that you've been working in this field for already 30 years. And um, for your PhD already, uh, very early in the beginning, you were using mass spectrometry to study those glycans. Uh, Even today, I think... Um, it is still quite challenging to 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 study glycoproteins using mass spectrometry, but I can only imagine how it was uh, back then, thirty years ago. So maybe you can share with our audience a little bit what was actually possible to do with uh, with mass spectrometry uh, back at that time. And how tedious was it to set up an experiment uh, in the lab to study glycans with mass spectrometry 30 years ago?
1: Sure, that's interesting. I'm dating myself. Um, So when I joined the the lab of um, Andell and uh, Howard Morris at Imperial College to study mass spectrometry of glycans, uh, the the instrument of choice at the time was uh, FABMS, Fast Atom Bombardment Mass Spectrometry. And uh, actually, my PhD was, was sponsored by VG Analytical at the time that they were making the instruments. So they wanted to have students who are familiar with with the uh, Fab techniques and looking at biopolymers. So our lo- our lab was. Um, um, developing uh, techniques for looking at biopolymers as a whole proteins and carbohydrates so fabms um, uh, was basically a technique that was a ionization technique that was had a magnetic sector instrument attached to it and magnetic sector instruments as a whole um, were a different ballgame than the mold ms or the electrospray that we use nowadays. Uh, they actually, at the time, they, they were um, extremely um, um, high resolution mass spec for its time because um, it allowed high, resu- resu- high resolution mass spec uh, at the same time um, um, being able to uh, elucidate the structure, so it allowed us to elucidate the structure of the glycans and proteins, peptides actually, but uh, they were difficult to use. First of all, uh, these took a long time to, uh, it took a long time to be able to uh, calibrate these instruments. It's not like Right now, that the Maldi, you basically push a button and it gets calibrated. The electrospray, you push a button and it gets calibrated. It, it took uh, maybe an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, depending on which instruments we use, uh, to properly calibrate it. And nowadays, most instruments, you don't have to calibrate them um, even once a week or maybe even two weeks or something like that, um, electrosprays or Maldis. and um, But then for um, fast atom bombardments, we had to calibrate it every day. We were able to, um, to, we were able to get um, very accurate uh, peptide mapping and uh, glycan mapping data uh, for a number of uh, glycoproteins. And then uh, in the late 80s, the electrospray was, uh, the electrospray technique was developed by um, um, Fenn and his groups. And actually, I analyzed the first glycoprotein on electrospray, which was a C-reactive uh, glycoprotein, using intact mass analysis of the first glycoprotein using electrospray in the late uh, '80s, yeah. uh, when I was still um, uh, at Imperial College.
0: Great, yeah, that that sounds very exciting, and uh, of course, uh, like the the technology was very different, but but still. A lot was possible uh, even back then. And I think FabMS, uh, yeah, probably a lot of our listeners who are even familiar with mass spectrometry will not uh, have n- have never used it and probably will uh, will not use it. Uh, yeah, probably
1: I've never seen it.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, maybe we'll try to find a picture of the Fab mass spectrometer and we'll put it to the show notes so our most uh, passionate mass spec listeners can have a look. How uh, has it looked? Uh, perfect. It sounds sounds really uh, exciting and also like shows the dedication, like how much had to be done essentially to perform an experiment that today would be much, much simpler. And also it's a good sign because it shows how, how far the technology has progressed uh, over the last years. Um, you also mentioned that at your institute, you not just use mass spectrometry to study uh, glycans, but also use uh, NMR, nuclear magnetic resonance. Can you tell our audience a little bit about when would be a good time to use NMR, like what would be the reason to use NMR uh, to study glycans or glycoproteins, and uh, what are the key advantages of this method, for example, over mass spectrometer?
1: Sure. Glycans are complicated structures, so they are not linear, and they're branched, so We will need to know the sequence of these glycans. We need to know the linkages. So only mass spectrometry is not going to be, um, uh, only mass spectrometry will not give you the whole uh, polysaccharide or glycan sequence. Um, So we will need complementary techniques. We use NMR, we use GCMS. We use GCMS quite a lot, actually, for linkage analysis. So NMR is used if, for example, we have a polysaccharide, and we need to know the sequence. Mass spec is not as useful for looking at the structure of the polysaccharides because mass spec doesn't have the mass range that we need for polysaccharide analysis unless we digest it or cut it into a smaller parts. But if we want to look at the intact polysaccharide or intact glycans. Um, uh, and we don't want to um, digest them in any way, we can look at NMR and NMR is able to give you the sequence, the linkage, the alpha beta configurations, all the information you need for um, basically glycoconjugate characterization as a whole. And the disadvantages for, um, for NMR analysis, samples needs to be fairly homogeneous. So we cannot look at big mixtures usually by NMR. You can look at big mixtures by NMR, but you get some kind of a profiling of everything. You cannot sequence everything. In order to sequence uh, polysaccharides, they need to be homogeneous. So we do quite a bit of um, purification and uh, basically isolation of uh, lipopolysaccharides and exopolysaccharides, capsular polysaccharides, for example, or plant polysaccharides prior to NMR analysis. So we we figure out if... uh, experiment can be done by NMR. um, First, if if it's homogeneous, if not, then we will purify it prior to it doing NMR.
0: Perfect, understood. So each method has its advantages and disadvantages, and I guess the carbohydrates, polysaccharides are so complex that it's really hard to use just a single method to understand both sequence and structure uh, of of that um, glycan, especially in the complex mixture. So my next question is also technical, is, and it's actually more on the deciphering uh, those oligosaccharide trees on the surface of proteins. Because, um, as you said, um, individual uh, monosaccharides can be linked to each other in a very different manner, and that would ultimately determine the structure and the shape of this oligosaccharide tree. So how do you combine mass spectrometry with some other techniques to decipher the sequence and those linkages of individual sugar uh, molecules in that oligosaccharide tree.
1: So we use a combination of techniques, as you said, uh, in order to get the full picture of what the uh, glycoprotein structure is or what the um, polysaccharide structure is. So if we are talking about a glycoprotein, we need to know What are the glycans attached? But we also need to know what are the sites of attachments. So we do some kind of a peptide mapping, glycopeptide mapping, to look at the sites of glycosylation. So we figure out what is the peptide backbone, and if that site, for example, asparagine or threonine residue is glycosylated, then we we use the mass spec to basically sequence the glycan. We usually release the glycans and uh, derivatize them using permethylation or acetylation to um, basically tell us uh, what is happening at the reducing end, What is what are the glycan structures at the non reducing end, um, and uh, for example, the ratio of a fucose being at one end of the molecule versus fucose being on the other end. What are the silic acids? Well, what is the position of the silic acids? And uh, these uh, fine tuning of the glycan structures is done through uh, derivatization and then uh, basically tandem mass spectrometry. Different tandem mass spectrometry techniques or hybrid fragmentation methods are used for um, elucidating the full structure of the glycans. Uh, but sometimes just the mass of just using maybe electrospray or MALDI is not enough so we look into GCMS we use uh, we make partially methylated alditol acetates and then uh, we look at the linkage positions of these uh, monosaccharides that are attached to each other for example the linkage of um, the galactose the linkage of the Glucanag uh, or the that that is present, the, the link- linkages of the fucose. So, combination of the derivatization using GCMS and LCMS and uh, electrospray using MSn or fragmentations uh, can help give you the full structure of the glycoprotein.
0: Perfect. Um, yeah, that 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 sounds complex, but I guess so is the biology of of glycoproteins. So, we need to use those. Complicated methods, uh, sometimes complicated methods, to uh, to fully understand uh, how those building blocks of our body uh, are built.
1: But one one important thing that I think um, I'd like to also mention is uh, I think so far we've talked about purified glycoproteins, but it's important to be able to look at glycoproteins on mixtures, on um, cell surfaces, on different cell lines, for example, or different tissues so those looking at real research comes into looking being able to look at mixture of the glycoproteins together so for example looking at uh, cancer cells versus normal cells um, to different tissues so the challenge is to be able to be able to observe those glycans accurately and to be able to capture those glycan signature glycan structures accurately and and sensitively, in order to know what are the differences between these tissues um, what are the biomarkers um in these tissues
0: absolutely, and uh, I think that's a really a prerequisite for for successful um, personalized medicine when we could um, essentially detect specific proteins or glycoproteins in those complex um, Mixtures coming from either blood serum or tissue, for example, from cancer biopsies, as you just mentioned, um, and that could really help us stratify patients, understand which therapeutics to use, and uh, how can how well can they respond to uh, specific uh, specific treatments.
1: Yeah, basically, you're looking at uh, real-time blood uh, changes is important, and for those is very challenging because the glycan um, signals usually are um, much reduced compared to peptide signals. So we need to have a way of enriching those glycan signals, those glycopeptide signals, in order to bring them to the surface and in order for us to see, uh, for them to be highlighted rather than being buried with every other signal. So now we are, we and a lot of other people are developing techniques to be able to enrich for these glycan structures and um, enhance their, their sensitivity. Right.
0: And, and what those techniques would be? Uh, is there something like a classical immunoprecipitation using specific antibodies against glycosylated proteins, or there are some other more specific uh, techniques that can be used to enrich those glycoproteins in the
1: sample? So people are using antibodies, they're using a lot of lectins to to, uh, basically enrich for a particular structure or using um, um, different columns that are more specific. They will bind specifically to more glycans, for example, helic columns maybe um, uh, to, to basically enrich the glycopeptide or glycoproteins uh, prior to analysis by mass spec or uh, um, other HPLC techniques maybe using uh, fluorescent detections because sometimes the, the changes in glycosylation are very subtle and maybe we will need some kind of fluorescent detections, tagging and fluorescent detections in order to, to detect these subtle changes in glycosylations. And it's not just glycoproteins. Uh, that could be changing. There are changes could be happening in the heparin sulfate or the glycosaminoglycan. So uh, when we're looking at changes in disease, it's the whole uh conjugates that could be changing. Glycol lipids could be changing, and uh, glycosphingolipids could be changing. Um, so we can't just say glycoproteins, uh, if we just concentrate on glycoproteins, uh, we'll be able to understand uh, what is happening with glycosylation. We'll have to look at the whole calyx and understand the changes in glycosylation in all glycoconjugates conjugates within a cell in order to um, um, to understand the disease and if glycosylation is important for that particular disease.
0: Understood. Yeah, it is. It is a complex challenge, and uh, which consists of of many, many, uh, different uh, elements. As you mentioned, it's not. These are not just glycoproteins. This could be glycolipids, uh, and of course, other molecules that kind of determine the phenotype, determine our response to diseases, and response to specific therapeutics we use to treat them. And uh, one more question that I would like to ask you is actually related to something that you mentioned a little bit early in this interview. So you said that um, at your uh, institute, you are working uh, a lot with the pharma companies and we have seen essentially the boom uh, of uh, recombinant proteins used as therapeutic agents. And probably the most pronounced uh, group of those therapeutics would be monoclonal antibodies and uh, of course those monoclonal antibodies are also glycoproteins they have this little glycan tree attached to them uh, and uh, from what we know so far it seems that that's, uh, that this uh, glycan tree is important uh, for the activity of those antibodies so i'm curious to know actually what are the are there any ways to specifically modify those glycans on the surface of antibodies to change the therapeutic activity of those of those medicines
1: so of course um, we worked with a number of companies on uh, uh, antibody characterizations um, both small and very large companies Uh, antibody uh, glycosylation is actually fairly simple compared to a lot of other uh, proteins but still challenging because uh, i think the challenge is uh, to be able to accurately quantitate Glycans on a particular antibody. We can always um, study the glycans and say, okay, the biantennary is, is the main structure. It has um, no galactose or one galactose. It has fucose or no fucose. But how accurately can we determine that? I think that's the, that's the challenging part uh, uh, because uh, uh, quantitation of glycans still it is a challenge in our field. To accurately quantitate glycans is still a challenge in our fields. Uh, let's say if there are uh, 15 or 10 to 15 glycans on a particular glycoprotein or antibody, uh, we don't have, um, uh, we should have all those uh, glycans as standards to be able to quantitate those accurately. And those are challenging to have those standards purified in a purified form uh, to be able to accurately uh, quantitate glycans. Um, of course, glycoengineering is important for the antibody fields. Uh, um, companies are changing the glycans using enzymes, and or the cell, the cell, the, the type of cell that the glycoprotein is producing is being produced that dictates the type of glycans that are present. Looking to see how we can uh, quantitate these glycans accurately going forward. Uh, uh, And it's important uh, to the field of glycobiology, not just for antibodies, but for other glycoproteins.
0: So, um, before I let you go, I would like to discuss the future with you. And I would like to get your insight into what do you expect to happen to the field of glycobiology in the next 10 years. Or maybe, let me rephrase it, what would you like to see happening uh, in the next 10 years? In this field?
1: I think um, it's a very exciting time to be in the glycobiology field. Uh, it's being recognized as an important field of biology um, with, in many aspects with disease, with uh, um, biofuels, with many aspects of life. Um, so, um, going forward, I think there are two areas that are important for our field. Uh, one is to be able to have um, the, the right tools. Uh, to be able to study these structures. And uh, I, I'm happy to report that funding agencies are showing a lot of interest in our field. Um, NSF, Department of Energy, and NIH are all, I think, vested in this area. So with more funding in this field, I think new new techniques will be developed so people will not be so scared of uh, uh, um, field And more people will come into this field and study The glycans, the role of glycans uh, of all types of glycoconjugates. So it will be important to basically have more people studying in this field, more people um, um, looking at these structures. But another important point is to be able to train the next generation of students uh, and glycobiologists in this field. Uh, One of the um, one of the ambitions of the Complex Carbohydrate Research Center in the last thirty years have been And it's a mandate of us to train the next generation. Uh, Our hands-on training courses in the last 30 years have trained more than 2,000 glycobiologists that come and taken our hands-on training courses. But we want to expand things. We want to make glycoanalytics or glycobiology accessible to a lot of people. Uh, We will continue to have these hands-on training courses, uh, but I think it's important to train more and more students and faculty in this field for them to understand that uh, glycans are important for their research. Any research that they're doing, glycans are important in that research. But the only way they're going to know is to be trained a little bit and to to have an interest in glycoology. So I'm I'm happy to report that this year we'll have our uh, courses online. Uh, um, They will be in August, and uh, there will be a link uh, in our website. They will be free this year uh, because there is no hands-on. They will be just uh, virtual uh, training courses, but that's a good opportunity for a lot of people to get exposed to different tools that are available in glycobiology and learn about different researchers doing research uh, on different aspects of uh, glycoscience. Perfect,
0: yeah, that sounds really fantastic and we'll definitely make sure to put the link to those courses into our uh, show notes so that more uh, people who are listening to this podcast can um, actually get first experience um, in the world of glycobiology research. Perfect, Barastu, I think this was uh, an incredible uh, episode, a very interesting interview and I'm sure there are a lot of... uh, glycobiology enthusiasts, maybe mass spec enthusiasts, who would like to uh, reach out to you and get in touch. So how can these people find you online? Uh,
1: They can reach me at uh, my email, azadi, A-Z-A-D-I, at uga.edu. They can also go to our uh, website, uh, uh, ast.uga.edu, or just visit us at the Complex Carbohydrate Research Center. You can find out about the center, the different types of research going on at the center and the different, different faculties. And there are developing uh, techniques and new tools for all types of glycoscience that is going on at the center.
0: Perfect. That sounds fantastic. Thank you very much for being today with us. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you again on this show, perhaps in a few years from now.
1: Thank you to you for um, setting up this um, podcast and thank you for your listeners. It was very interesting. Uh, I look forward to speaking to you too soon as well.
0: Thank you so much for being with us today on the Personalized Medicine Podcast. If you like this show and know someone who would enjoy it too, please share this podcast with them. And don't miss the next episode yourself. Subscribe to the Personalized Medicine Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many, many more. Please rate us there and leave a comment. That helps us to grow and deliver the best experience to you. To access the show notes for this episode, visit our website, pmedcast.com. It's p m e d c a s t.com. And engage with us on social media where we regularly share the news and exciting content on personalized medicine. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook just by typing in Personalized Medicine Podcast or use our handle, PMEDcast. And if you have any feedback or would like to suggest a guest for the show, write us an email to team at PMEDcast.com. Have a great day and until next time.